Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. from Russia with Love is now 60 years old and if ever a film could be said to have stood the test of time the second Bond film is it an instant classic its reputation as one of the very best Bond films and indeed films of the 1960s is assured forever back in 1963 producers were keen to cement the success of the debut Bond film Doctor No and almost instantly started production on the second from Rush With Love was one of JFK's favourite novels, and the decision was made for it to be adapted next. Sean Connery was now a worldwide film star who would symbolise the debonair secret agents for many a generation, and he truly grew into the role, adding more humour and depth to his performance. Bond and MI6 were playing a game of cat and mouse with the Soviets, but it was ultimately Spectre who were running the show. With no clear main villain, this was much more of a Cold War thriller than an action film, miles away from the sunny shores of Jamaica. Despite it being the second Bond film, we were presented with a series of firsts. John Barry took over scoring duties. Desmond Llewellyn was introduced as Major Boothroyd, providing Bond with gadgets for his mission. We had a pre-title sequence to get us excited for the main event. A title song. And we even got to see Blofeld for the first time. Well, some of him. It had the right balance of serious drama mixed with humorous moments, many supplied by the charming Kerim Bey. It's a film that's well worth revisiting and still resonates with modern audiences. It was no surprise that it was a huge hit and propelled the franchise into new territory. To celebrate the anniversary, we gathered to discuss why we love the film so much. And it was great to have so many of you again Contribute with your thoughts. 60 years old, Steve. Can you can you remember the first time you saw it? Presumably on TV or something. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't at the cinema, Hasten to Add, on release. I don't know if I can remember the first time because it would have been on it would have been on ITV when I was a kid and it would have been one of those Bond films that came up and I always, always wanted to watch them. 
And I think as a kid, it probably wasn't one of my favourites because, you know, it didn't have the spectacle of the later Bond films that um, that appealed to me. Now, for me, From Rush With Love is a film that has grown on me and grown on me with time. Now it's, for me, it's just an absolute classic uh, because it is brilliant. And, and actually, when I watched it again uh, in the last few days, it feels like a very grown-up Bond film. The themes are very serious. It's got a, a really serious, a serious plot that runs throughout it. It's quite clear what the mission is. It doesn't have actually many jokes in it obviously only has a couple of smallish or set pieces in the sense of what we think of as set pieces now it's actually got quite a lot of set pieces but in the in the big grand things there's not that spectacle because obviously it was a much smaller budget film being just the second bond film but i just think that plays into its favor and, and as i say as a kid yeah when i first watched it i probably would have been disappointed that i wasn't watching the spy who loved me or moonraker but as I got older, it, you just realise what an incredible film it was. And thank goodness it, it was, because had Dr. Noam from Russia with Love not been so brilliant, we wouldn't have had any other Bond films, and that would have been the end of it. It is more an adult Bond film, isn't it? Have you shown Ernie it yet? Or is... Yeah, he's he's requested to watch it a couple of times, actually. I think he enjoys that it is like the most overtly the most overt sort of like spy thriller of 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 a lot of them you know particularly you know early on and also you've got like such memorable set pieces that it feels it is like the it's where everything is sort of coming together really nicely in terms of the 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 formula and then you've got like just like say that obviously you know the locations you know the the the, the set pieces obviously on the, on the on the train and stuff like that absolutely uh, you know phenomenal but yeah no he he really enjoys it i think it moves along at such a great pace and it's so well edited it's it's uh it's brilliant so he does like the film yeah oh yeah 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 i can't remember the first time i saw it but i remember thinking this was quite a special bond film i remember thinking that it was it was incredibly tense it felt like i suppose that that period when i actually watched it when I was actually aware of it as a, as a, you know, as a film, I think I was also watching Hitchcock and I, that was something that was also kind of, you know, the, the, the parallels with that. But yeah, I was just, just blown away about how tense it was, how glamorous it was, how, how the action is, is brutal, you know, and every, every time I'll go back and watch it, I think good grief, you know, the, the fight at the gypsy camp is pretty, you know, pretty hardcore. Obviously, the, like I say, the, the, the fight with Red Grant is, is, an absolute highlight, not only for the series, but I think in, in terms of cinema, in terms of action set pieces, I think it really set the standard. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, it's always, I've always held it in really high regard. Like say that the Doctor No is one that I keep, that when I first watched it, I was a bit like, oh, it's like a Bond film, but it's not quite, it's not quite there in terms of the the ones that I'd obviously were a big fan of. But every time I watch, you know, from Russia We Love, it's just. Um, it's Barry's first score, you know. It's it's just like I say, you just get that kind of lush feeling with it, and and setting things up and like creating this world where it references Doctor No, and it's oh, it's that's the you know the the the, the woman from the previous film, and and there's a, the mu- musical cue that was from the end of the other, you know, the, it felt like they were creating a world. So I absolutely absolutely loved that love it, and I, it is definitely in my top five. It's just it's just a brilliant brilliant film. I think it is sort of in the traditional rankings when people do them. If you asked most Bond fans and not huge Bond fans, they would all name it as one of the most famous ones, I think. And 60 years, its legacies obviously lived on. Harry, when we first started the podcast, we did Octopussy first, we reviewed, but then we thought, I th- was it I can't, Was it your decision to have, you thought From Us We Love would be the first Sean one? But <laughs> I don't know. It was three years ago now since we did it. And it was a, it was really good fun. We had obviously we had Chris on as well, 
Yeah, I absolutely loved talking about it. Obviously, it was it was the first review that I was on, but it was in this period of partly due to lockdown and maybe the build up to No Time to Die and everything. We were, you know, revisiting the franchise. I know it's been mentioned a few times in past recordings, but yeah, I, was, I went through watching them chronologically. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think my story is very similar to Steve's and Chris's in that as a child, it wasn't one that was the one you always stuck on to to watch for enjoyment and for excitement and for us as younger children watching it. And so when it came to watching it as an adult, it was, it, it was sort of coming at it fairly fresh. I mean, I knew everything that happened in the film, but I was looking at it through completely different through a different lens and appreciating it as a film. And also, I suppose it was slightly with the lens of us doing this podcast where actually, yes, we're watching for them, watching them for enjoyment, but actually we're watching them also to notice the craft of the films and we're looking at the impact that it's had on the rest of the franchise and how it fits in. So looking at all those things, you can't help but watch From Russia Love and think this is an incredibly important film in the entire franchise, really important. I think I mentioned in that podcast the review, and I've mentioned it since. I love that it's the second one that builds on Doctor No, and I love that it sees him go to these low locations. And I think if you could try to put in an analogy, maybe if Doctor No is like building the physique of Bond, and then he get, eventually gets a Goldfinger, which is him going on an adventure, like a full blown adventure. From Russia, Love in between is kind of clothing him, kind of equipping him, and showing like the design of him and his aura and everything about that and it fits perfectly in that run of three and obviously beyond but to go from Doctor No to from Russia Love to Goldfinger is a lovely lovely progression there and it, it might you know to go from Doctor No straight to Goldfinger mm. probably would have been fine would have been you know really good but slipping from Russia Love in there really just adds so much depth and texture to Bond's character and the the kind of the spy world that he's in I, I think it's really important film, and for it to come second, it was really important too. Hearing, I mean, I don't really, I can't even remember what your favourite Bond films are, but I'm guessing from Russia Love's fairly high up there. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm glad you've come to me now because I, I'm going to break the mould here. Uh, I'm actually one of the rare people. This, this was my first ever glimpse of 007, ever. Oh right. Oh, uh, I was, I was, I think seven, eight years old. My, maybe even younger, maybe about five. And I all I recall was literally seeing the opening sequence with Connery, and it turns out not to be Bond, in the garden, Red Grant, that climactic scene with Spectre Island, and that was it. That's all I saw. I don't know how old I was, where I was, but that was my very first introduction to Bond ever. So this film holds a very special and dear place in my heart. I wouldn't say I was in love with the franchise by that point, but it was certainly the straw that broke the camel's back. It snowballed from there on in. So that's my earliest recollection. And like Harry says, I view the first three films as stepping stones. You obviously introduced a formula with Dr. No, and with this, you, you firmly established who the character was, and you can clearly see where Bond is going to go from that point onwards when you look back at from Russia. And by Goldfinger, those premises and all the characteristics of the character that we know and love, they are firmly established. And then after Thunderball, that's when that momentum is firmly gained, as it were. Yeah, th these are definitely, these first three are chronological, you can tell, can't you? And it's not just the references to the previous ones. So Doctor mm. No, 
is referenced at the start by Blofeld and Kleb in that scene. Mm-hmm. And of course, Sylvia Trench, we'll get on to her later. The pre-title sequence, let's talk about that because that's a first. That's a first for the franchise. It'll take some beating in terms of impact. It's not only got the ingredients of it's sort of separate but connected to the main story, but it's got that unbelievable shock factor of James Bond's dead. <laughs> I can't, it's just every time. I, I, I get, I, you can imagine, Kieran, the first time, if that's the first thing you saw, yeah. of course you'd be hooked on that. I mean, well, yeah. Do you know, I, I think is, imagine you've gone into the cinema and you see that and we haven't had films like Face Off. None of that's existed before. Yeah. No one, and the, the first Mission Impossible, the face, you just, no one has had that idea, that thought in a film like that. And yeah, you, it's, it's incredible. And also what I think is really interesting is that was the first uh, chance the filmmakers had to say, look, Bond's a success already. Everyone knows who Sean Connery and James Bond is. They don't need to establish that. He's there in that opening scene. So you're immediately, you know, that's James Bond. And I think that shows how confident they were in what had come before in Doctor No, that they can just immediately have this scene and you've already bought into that leading man because he's been established in a previous film and they can do the whole, yeah, the whole twist that it's not really him. You sort of think, oh, it wasn't really one that us kids liked or as much. Mm. But when you think about your childhood, you think, goodness me, Rosa Klebb haunted our childhood. I specifically remember this scene. You remember lots of other scenes from it, but it's maybe the the overall tone of the film that perhaps isn't as easy for children to get into, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't I can't remember, though, ever ever thinking, oh, I'm not going to watch From Rush With Love. Oh, no. You know, it, it was with the rest of them, like, yeah, that's something else I can watch. But, yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot that that is very memorable. And there's loads of characters and very memorable and really well-written and performed characters in this that, that stay with you. So if you watch them as a kid, yeah, you know, Kleb, Grant, even, you know, Kronstein and and everything, you know, to do with to do with him, Kerim Bay. Um, this is just absolutely jam-packed with with loads of brilliant, brilliant characters and and you know, not forgetting Tatiana as well. So it, it yeah, it is it is something that I don't know, it's it's in some ways, yeah, probably one that we, we weren't desperate to as desperate to go and stick it on on a Sunday afternoon as maybe some of the others, but we certainly did. We certainly did watch it plenty, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I, I just think it's 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 really a, a brilliant a brilliant spy thriller that's that's different to you know sort of basically saying what some of the other guys have said, but building on what Doctor No did. But it, it is it is quite different in in you know in a lot of ways, and so not just in terms of the location, but and and John Barry's score, which. It's, uh, it's so good to have John Barry in there. I mean, the Doctor No scores probably not one of my favourites, and I'm you know I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being a bit harsh, but yeah, getting Barry in there, that he, right, we're really we're really building building something big here, and yeah, I just uh, it's just such a fantastic film and one that that yeah that I I've always remembered like liking, but my respect for it has has increased and increased. So going back to that pre-title and title sequence, both of those things are completely new. I don't know, the impact of that, just an audience just watching those titles with... It isn't the theme tune, it's the the theme with the Bond theme, isn't it? The, the sort of seed that goes into it. And and 
it would establish, of course, like these films do, scenes from the film, like in the background, weren't there? Like upcoming the belly dancers and things like that. So stuff that you've got to look forward to, which Mission Impossible still does today. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Chris, what do you think of the that? pre-titled sequence and going into the titles like what, what steve said i said the confidence of start you know like you've set you basically set up a, a franchise even though they didn't know it was going to be a franchise they knew they have a, these series of books and they were going to adapt them and then for the opening scene to be the death you know what what, what a blind side of that would be it's like oh bond is dead and oh no it's not and it's like again it felt like so exciting you mean like I, I can only imagine what it must have been what it must have felt like to have gone to, to see dr no at the cinema then sit down you know a year later or whatever it was to see from which we love and there's bond being killed off oh no he's not and then suddenly the the music comes up and you've got belly dance like you say belly dancers yeah. and the, the you know all the all that imagery must have like been absolutely amazing and so exciting and that's the thing that i i i'm absolutely i i will never like underestimate just how innovative and exciting the filmmaking was for that series and what it must have felt like to be an audience member Doctor No, just how amazing it looks the production design the colors the mute all that and for t- and, and for that each film and then suddenly we've got goldfinger you know you've got shirley bassey you've got the cut it must have been like mind-blowing and and you know it's great that we obviously we get to go back and watch them again and again but to have been there must have like taken your head off and I think that that that, that and, and that's what you know. On occasion, I will sit there and think. You know, you, you there is that, that comfort of knowing exactly how that film plays out, and it's like, oh, I've got this scene coming up. But to have, to, to have sat there watching it for the first time must have just been amazing. And and, and let's say to to see all those seeds being kind of put in, and 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 yeah, just it, yeah, it's just astonishing. And I think that's one thing that. Um, is maybe not lacking nowadays, but I, I would like to see that more kind of, you know, just a, a real kind of embracing the, 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 I don't know, the, the, yeah, just something different. You know, I, it feels like I say, when I hear it, when I talk about it, I get really excited about what the possibilities there are with the franchise and within those limitations uh, of, of the character and the world and everything. But yeah, to, to have been there, you know, to see From Rush With Love, that opening sequence and that music come up, it must have been amazing. What was it like for you then, Kieran? Did, did you actually, can you remember thinking, is Bond dead? Can you... I'll be honest, my, my memory is rather hazy in that regard. Yeah. I don't quite, I, all I remember was Bond being in the garden and being yeah. stalked. And that was it. It was a, a, a split second, a snippet of my life, but it was one that obviously gave a lasting impression and left a lasting impression. We had the honour and great privilege of visiting Norman Wanstall, the sound editor for the early Bond films, and he told us all about his experiences working on From Russia With Love. In the pre-title sequence, it's where there's an agent you think is Bond, but it's actually the Spectre camp where there's a training camp and they kill Bond, but it isn't him, and they take off his rubber mask to reveal that it is another agent. Now, that noise of the rubber mask coming off is a... Di- oh, I love it. I think it's brilliant. Well, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. <laughs> Please, I want to... <laughs> that was the only time in all those films they yeah. said, Norm, that's not quite up to it. They didn't, they didn't want it. No, and they, they, <laughs> they were dubbing... 
and I'd, I'd done in record because you know a lot of my stuff was done in the recording theatre. All the footsteps and movement and yeah, clogs yeah. and box and machines and that all all done in the recording theatre. And I thought I'd got it right, but Peter didn't think it was right. right. And so apparently they stopped dubbing because I was still working in my cutting room. They stopped dubbing, brought something in, got and recorded it. Oh, right. So you know, full oh, sorry. sorry. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's great because it proves yeah. it proves that it needed to it be needed, something yeah. that people. I agree with you. It's perfect. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it's like it's almost like two movements, isn't it? Yeah. It's the only time, though, they ever criticised one of my sounds. Well, that's not bad, is it? If it's the only time, yeah. It's a good, yeah. 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 good ratio, of that yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But like the guys have said, just just the boldness with which the producers went in, you know, they rolled with it. And each film, they steamrolled. Obviously, they tried new things with each and every instalment. This, this I think, was the critical instalment, because if this had failed on the success of Doctor No, you know, Bond could have easily come and gone within the blink of an eye. So I think their, their innovations and their creativity was paramount. And, you know, all credit to them for having that creative vision. And it, I think these films are testament to the success and longevity of the franchise today. But in regards to obviously the opening titles, I mean, I can't remember how old I was when I saw the film properly all the way through. I was obviously still a child. But this is definitely one of the, I would say, probably the best Connery instalment that you can have for me personally. I think it has all the formulas of what we know and love about Bond today. But it's, for me, Connery's best performance as Bond. No question. He, he's engaging. He is committed. He's not bored with the role in any capacity, and I th and, and I think his. I, I just think the way he portrays the character is, for me, just the pinnacle. Kieran, did you go? Have you been to Pinewood where that that was shot? It is at Pinewood. Yeah. Isn't it? I, I, I've been looking enough back in the days when Gareth Owen's events were rather big and they, we did tours around the gardens and so forth. And, you know, to see where Jan Williams was with Robert Shaw and, you know, all the garden area. It, it's a sublime place. It's magical. And if anyone else has been, I'm sure they'll echo those sentiments. And you can really feel the the flavour and the spice of that film and, and all the other countless films, Bond, carry-ons that have been shot there over the years. He seems fit enough. Have him report to me in Istanbul in 24 hours. Where is Spectre at Ireland? I don't, even know. I don't know. I think they always wanted, uh, and I think Fleming always wanted to keep it a bit vague because the, the great thing was with having Spectre as a non, not not committed to a country, is that you don't you avoid you avoid all the politics. You're not offending the Russians. You're not offending anyone. So you can just create this evil entity that doesn't have, in our eyes, a location. Uh, although you know, clearly they've got a base. Uh, so who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it looks a bit too green and warm to be uh, Eastern <laughs> Europe, doesn't it? So who knows? We obviously sort of learn in Doctor No that the sort of almost a twist is that Doctor No is working for Spectre, but it's so mysterious in that film. Here we get a first real insight into it. I mean, the first scene of the main film, that incredible chess set, and the audiences must be thinking, sorry, what's going on here? This... Grandmaster, and then hang on, he's whoa. He he is one of the main proponents of Spectre. There's so there's so it's all one surprise, two surprise, three. It just keep keeps going, doesn't it? And that scene. I remember in the book, and I might be wrong. I might have got it muddled up. 
because I've not read the book for a while, but the, the, the guy playing chess, the Grandmaster, he gets a right bollocking from Spectre for being for not immediately stopping the game and going to, you know, when he gets that message right. in the film, he, he really? plays an extra shot while he wins, doesn't he? Does checkmate. Okay. I've got a feeling in the book he maybe plays an extra two moves or something and then gets an absolute roasting from Spectre ah. for, for not just stopping immediately and leaving, <laughs> which is weird because that would look a bit suspicious, surely. Hi, congratulations, sir. A brilliant coup. It's a great scene, isn't it? That it, it, I, I love how they take how Bond has always done that. You know, you right through to, to Daniel Craig because you know I think we all enjoy the opera scene in uh, Quantum of Solace. You know, it's it, it takes see, things that happen normally and then it gives it the Bond twist and it just adds edge. And they they look so wonderful. The set designs for all, mm. all these things and and locations as well. It's just it's just so Bond, isn't it? Right from the off, we're so Bond already in just the second film. The first sight of Blofeld. I know we don't see much of him, but I know John's of the opinion that perhaps this and Thunderball are the best best incarnations of Blofeld because you 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 hear the threat, you see a little bit of it, you know he's in charge, and you can see the effect he has on these other people. Like Cleb is a really scary villain, but she's absolutely terrified of Blofeld. It's so, that's a great scene. Though. All the scenes of Blofeld, I think. Yeah, I think you know you've said everything there. Like that. What that scene does is incredible because I suppose it's slightly world building, isn't it? Because in Doctor No, we see the kind of the the murders in Doctor No and things like that, but we don't have a glimpse of the villains running alongside the other narrative, and we're not introduced to them exclusively in their own meetings. So it's kind of an an eye opener into the first eye opener into the idea that things are going on away from. HQ, the stuff rumbling. The way of introducing the villains isn't them doing something bad, you know, like a you know a, a hostage takeover. It's not them doing something bad, like planting a bomb. It's a simple meeting, isn't it? Like you said, it's just a meeting to create the mystery, bit of terror as well. Just from like you said, the dynamic of three characters, where all of them in their own right are scary, but there's a, even within that, there's a hierarchy where these two people, Kleber and Kronstein, who are fairly scary to look at and pose this fairly unpleasant threat, they are cowering when they are engaging with Blofeld and he's speaking to them. And immediately you've you've set up something that, well, this is a threat. You know, this is something that inevitably Bond's going to have to come, he's going to have to confront. What we've seen so far is that opening scene where on Spectre Island... So, you know, there's some idea of training troops. They're out to get bombed. But we don't see Kleb, Kronstein or Blofeld in that. The next scene, we're, we're taken up to head office, kind of. We're, we're up with uh, Blofeld himself. And there's really something building here that's, you know, superb. And I, th- I might be able to correct me, but do we get the Spectre theme music in this scene as well that doesn't seem to reappear in the franchise, but is utterly terrifying? And I wish it had made more appearances in the franchise. Yeah, I think it's that, dum, 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 isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite Thunderbirds or Captain yes, Scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Scarlet. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed. I keep going about it. In in uh, Thunderball, Volpe has her own sort of Spectre theme, the do 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 do, which yes. is another brilliant theme. It's got, I love John Barry's cockiness. Like, no, I won't just use the same Spectre theme. I'll do another one. Yeah, but I was hoping that might have come back for. The film Spectre, certainly. The, this this one in From Us We Love. No chance. 
<laughs> I saw that Calvin Dyson had done a video a few weeks ago. Who is the main villain of, of From Rush With Love? It's quite an interesting yeah. question. Yeah. Doesn't if mean we, if, if we apply the same sort of logic to Thunderball, where Blofeld is the overall villain, but Largo is like the villain of that film, probably say, obviously, Blofeld, and then probably Kleb. She wouldn't report to Kronstein or, you know, or even Mortsny. Is that his name? Yeah. Mort- I don't, Mortsny. Mort- they appear to be fairly on the same level. And then you've also got Grant, but he's, you know, he's someone who's working for them, although things change when he's fighting Bond. But yeah, so I would I would probably say Cleb, but it's it's not straightforward. But I quite like that, you know. I think there's a bit of a temptation. And I do, you know, I do love a, a good villain, a clear villain who's, you know, who we know who they are from, from start to finish. That's brilliant in any film, but certainly in James Bond films. It's also quite nice when they do, you know, you're not quite sure who the main villain is. You know, Living Daylights has has a couple. Octopussy, you know, it isn't it isn't that clear cut who the main villain is in that. Um so yeah, and it's it's quite nice to sort of have a different bit of formula. And I think having Spectre allows for that because you've got that overall kind of organizational threat in the background, and you've got Blofeld, who's the the, the clear, you know overall schema behind things but then then you've got these individual pawns and you know again it would have been if if they hadn't have been so sort of eager and quick to to use Spectre and make Christoph Waltz Blofeld and make him the main you know they could have had him as a just a supporting character a bit you know done differently but a bit like this and a bit like Thunderball and then and then had a Largo or a Cleb. Dr. No if you think about it is a mystery isn't it who who is doing this and then he's revealed fairly late on in the film. But then Goldfinger afterwards, it's like, that's the villain. That's There's no mystery. Bond's got to somehow work out how to stop him. This is like in the middle. And again, it, what an amazing one, two, three of the building blocks of Bond. But I suppose like alluding to is that, that, that you've got the villain of the plot and then you've got the villain of the film. And for me, it's Grant, because he's the one who is shadowing Bond through the most of the film. And obviously, that's he, he has the big, you know, the, the face off with. But yeah, obviously, the, the architect of the, the, the what's driving the plot is Blofeld and, you know, Kronstein and, you know, Rosa Klebb and, you know, all those, all those, those, those characters. They're the ones that who are you know the the architects behind it but for me grant is the villain he is he is the you know the cliche almost well now the cliched he's the 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 darker side of you know the dark version of the hero kind of thing yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah so every time i think back you know but again but just just sort of creating such a rich world full of these such interesting characters and creating an arc like a like a you know an, an almost you can imagine like a, the organizational chart of spectre you know like who number two number three you know like everyone's part of this thing and then you've also got the henchmen who are hired you know who aren't necessarily you know aren't buying into what they want to do politically but it's just like a payday for them and it just again it makes it feel so incredibly rich and like saying before about like the 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 opening sequence after the the, the titles with there's no explanation of 
you know the as he pulls you know as he has his drink and there's the the spectre symbol again it's there's an expectation it's like you'll you will just know you will just catch up with this there's no pauses to explain the plot and who's the bad guy and who's this and I, I just love that that he just treats its audience with you know a degree of intelligence and just says you know if you're patient you, there will be a payoff and and I think that 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 kind of very considered kind of filmmaking is very much of its time but I, I think is is so satisfying because you are you know just take your time but there is you will get the excitement you will get the action you will get the locations and every and all those kind of things but yeah I think. Um, for me, every time I think of you know, you know, from Rush with Love, you know, you can, the, there is li- a, a, the literal shadow of Robert yeah. Shaw hanging over the film, and I love that because he is, whether you describe him as a henchman or a villain or whatever, he is such an, a, an imposing figure across the entire plot and the film, and he's just you know played brilliantly. I've not heard it said an awful lot, but does it, does anyone think? Well, once Grant's dead, is that does the you know, people complain about Living Daylights that I suppose once Necros is is dealt with, people don't seem to care, do they? With this, there's you obviously get the action scenes and there's they're very quiet and there's not much dialogue. You get the, the helicopter sort of chase around. I think that's after, isn't it? Yeah. And then the sort of the, that silly animal's hat that Bond wears on the on the water. And but I mean we do get Clegg though at the end. Clegg. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that at some point. Yeah. Nick Clegg comes. Nick Clegg, and... yeah, with his knife uh, on his shoe. Yeah. No, I don't, Chris, do you think, <laughs> you don't think the film sort of, uh, it's not as interesting after Grant dies, do you? I, I think I, I, I remember this discussion when we did the review because I think John is very much like the film is that, you know, it peaks with the fight. Yeah. And it, I, I agree with dramatic, you know, like dramatically, it is a brilliant set piece. But you still need to get him from here to here, and I think that that to, to have the whole like him, you know, the, the getting off the off the, the the train and then stealing the truck and then stealing the boat and and, and then the, the 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 helicopter again, it's down to personal taste. Some people think it's like oh, it's really stretching it out. It goes on for ages. But for me, it is like how yeah, that, that's one thing that has been solved. So he's killed the bad guy. How does he get back? How does he get her back to you know to safety? And I think that's what I, uh, I think it's I think it's really well done in terms of it could quite easily have been you know like in like North by Northwest, yeah. Like the hat, you know, come here, come here. You know, he try he grabs it. And it's, it is one of the greatest cuts in cinema where it's like the hand and then onto the train, and it's just like everything is solved just in a in a single cut. Yeah. Everything has been solved. And for that, it works brilliantly. And but for Rush with Love, it feels like actually you're so invested in this, we need to see them get to, to, for the, to finish this journey. And for me, you know, I, I love the, the 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 helicopter bit because he gets to use his gadget. He gets to use the the the, the sniper rifle. He gets to see him with his attaché case. You get to see him with his hat and being chased. And it's such it's so iconic. And I think that's also quite interesting. Is that when you think. Did I know that scene before I watched that film? You know, was that so indelible in terms of that imagery? You know, whether I'd seen it in clips or trailers and stuff. I'm remembering that. I'm remembering it why I watched it for the first time. And I think that that set piece in From Russia with Love with the helicopter is almost like more visually in, in, in kind of you know kind of ingrained in my mind than the actual fight is in the, in the train. Uh, and I think that is because of seeing it on trailers, and you know, at the beginning of when you get the the 
you know the 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 the, the famous you know VHS trailer that showed all the clips yeah. and stuff. That was the one that they showed. So I, I think that's. But yeah, anyway, I I, I just think it's uh, I think it kind of builds brilliantly, and I think that it's great to see him actually trying. You know, it's not an easy journey for for, for Bond out of this. He is he is really up to his neck in it. It's nice to see him actually get out of it. One of the aircraft is missing. Hey Bond fans, how's it going? Northerner who love me here. Hope you're well. Once again, it's a pleasure to uh, add to the mix with talking about the second Bond film. After before talking about Octopussy and Live and Let Die. Yeah, who does number two work for? Well, it certainly works for me. This is such a wonderful film. I mean, for me, it's one of the best books. I think it was the best, um, the first book that I actually did. I don't know, it could have been about 20 years ago when it was the, you know, that the 40th, just around that time. Obviously, they start to get some of this stuff out there again and I went to a thing um a spy love me in Bradford and they had some of the books there and I bought this book and I thought it's a good start with the books because I knew it's you know even before I even got through it I knew it was one of the best books just think this is one of these films where you know if the Bond films are like you know members of a mob this would be like you know the the made guy that kind of walks in this film you know it'd be like the one where they all go quiet when this film walks in it's one analogy I came up with that people, anybody that likes Bond just has a you know, high kind of um, thought of this film. You know, they just absolutely think, do you know what? Even if it's not in my top 10 or even 20, you know, not me personally, but even if people do, they just kind of say, do you know what? That is a good film. That, that is classic Bond, even if it isn't the top of their chart. Let's talk about the Bond girl, Daniela Bianchi. I think it's just in later years. I, I always thought she was she was nice, you know, stunning woman, a good Bond girl. But again, I think it's just because they've got the the dubbed voice. There's always a little bit of detachment that kind of sometimes has put me off unfairly of some of these Bond girls. A bit like with Claudine Angers in Thunderball, um, it just makes a bit of a disconnect with the voice sometimes. But you know, if you kind of watch and just get past that, you know, the fact that she can only mainly speak Italian, I just think you know she still obviously says the lines out and that gets dubbed over. But she's She's just stunning in this. I, I, for me, she's like top tier now. I think, as I say, I've got a bit older and I'm just like these older films, you know, that bit more. I've always liked this one, but I just always thought that she was just absolutely gorgeous and just, just fits that time, that kind of 60s glamour. And uh, so, yeah, she's wonderful. Let's talk about some of the baddies, obviously, Gwen and Cleb. I mean, and all those and lots of people talk about Cleb and I think she's, she's absolutely superb in this. But for me, Grant is where it's at. He's just easily top three baddie for me. And I definitely, he's not just a henchman, he's definitely a baddie. He's involved so much in this film, if you think about it. So for me, I personally think he's still one of the main baddies of this film. And that train fight, I mean, I love train stuff anyway, you know, and just going on trains and stuff, especially old trains like that. And that train fight is just absolutely top-tier Bond action. You know, the speech as well, when they're talking to each other, you know, he's telling him about the plan and all that kind of stuff, the, the way he's been kind of led, led through this plot. It's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, obviously we've got to talk about Sean here. For me, I mean, I know they say Goldfinger and Thunderball is kind of like peak Sean, but for me, this is absolute peak Sean. 
even just in the second film, he just looks absolutely amazing. You know, he's so confident. I think a lot of Bonds they get into the sort of second or even third film, and, and they just sort of hit a good uh, good spell. And uh, Sean just hits that in this second one. He's just he's absolutely pitch perfect in this film. I think the only bits of this film where it just dips a little bit, just for a short while, is just the gypsy camp and the uh, the boat bit. They could have been just uh, just trimmed a little bit because um, they say this film's you know often got like two or th- even three endings to it, which you know it all still fits together well. But um, they could have shortened that a little bit, I think. Obviously, they're still quite important to the film. And I love the bit with the chopper, you know, with the North, North by North, Northwest links on it. You know, it's obviously clear not to Hitchcock in that stuff. I've even watched that film again later. That was the first watch for me. Yeah, so obviously, it's just a, a, you know, a nice nod to that film. You know, they're not copying it, but they're just saying, yeah, we've got to do something like that in this one. And let's talk about Karen Bay. I mean, uh, he's just, he's always been one of my fave allies. Just the, the connection that he has with uh, Sean's Bond in this is just absolutely wonderful. I know he's loved by a lot of people and uh, certainly by me. I mean, I could just talk about that guy all day. He's just absolutely wonderful. And the fact he was so ill at the time as well when uh, when they were making this film. And uh, unfortunately, he was, he was in so much pain and, and suffered so much that he took his own life. But um, such a tragic uh, way to, um, for him to end. But, um, you know, in his actual life. It's nice to see his son license to kill as well. I think the score's good. I think it just... Uh, just weaves its way into the film like all the best stuff of John's works you know it just kind of uh, it's another part of the movie I would say and uh, it's just a pure spy, uh, spy film this isn't it and uh, I'm just I know they've got a cinema showing of this in London I think next month but they need to have some of the you know nationwide cinema chains have you know some of these uh, films that are coming up for you know what is it for yeah, 60, 60, 50 and uh, 40 years for those three films that are coming up this year. So uh, it'd be nice to have to see that up in the north. And uh, even if we can sort some kind of uh, showing somewhere as Bond fans, that'd be good as well. But it'd be so nice. I mean, in my chart, the six so it sits, always sits top five for me. At the moment, it sits at number four, but it will always, always be top five. No matter what new Bond films come out, this one's always going to be in the top five for me. That will never change. And I just hope we'll see a nice uh, steel book a bit like they did with Doctor No last year. You know, if we get, um, we just don't need to buy that one. It's, it's top of my Amazon list at the moment. It'd be lovely, lovely to hear about some of these uh, steel books. Obviously, Eon did let us down a bit last year, not um, announcing some more of these films, particularly 4Ks. I don't use 4K personally, just on just on the blues still. But um, I'd love to see a, a blue steel book of this. It'd be absolutely wonderful. You know, obviously a new one with all the little bits with it. Again, just uh, make sure you follow these guys' uh, podcast that they do. Absolutely wonderful, lovely guys. I spent a bit of time with them in the last year. And uh, they're such good blokes. Keep listening and hoping for a new Bond. See you later. Bye. Robert Shaw, what an unbelievable performance, unbelievable villain. What what I love is that he is very much Bond's equal, isn't he? Which is, this the, you know, it's, we're, we're the second film in and we get that brilliant idea. You have someone who is Bond's equal. He's good looking. He's charming. He's incredibly physically fit. He's tough. He's a similar build to Connery, possibly slightly bigger than Connery. Uh, and you just, you, you he's not your typical bad guy because he puts on this persona of being smooth and charming and everything and I, I love it and I mean of course it's, it's, it goes without saying that my favourite scenes in the film are when you just see him in the background Connery's doing something in the foreground and there you see Red Grant in the train already in the background or when they're at the gypsy fight and he saves Bond's life it's just such a lovely moment he's just there in the background sort of shaping what goes on and it puts him in a control and you as an audience you can see stuff you know stuff that even bond your hero doesn't know you're in on it 
and he's not, and you're waiting for Bond to ca catch up with what's going on. And that makes the whole build-up so climatic. I don't think the film uh, struggles after that. I, I do feel with The Living Daylights, which I, I love The Living Daylights, but I feel like it, it does feel a bit like they do a big spectacular ending and then they have to do another ending. But this doesn't feel like that because for all the reasons Chris just gave, you've, you've had this brilliant build-up, brilliant character. Finally, Bond gets the better of him. In a brilliant scene, the way he gets the better of him, because in... I think in films later, it'd be very easy for him to immediately do the briefcase trick on him. But you see Bond sort of in his mind fighting for his life and he's trying other things first. You know, the first thing he tries to do is wind Red Grant up to try and get him into a fight so that he can win. You can see him calling him names and doesn't work. Then he tries to offer to buy him, you know, we'll pay you twice as much, doesn't work. And you can see in his mind the cogs wearing, what can I do? And then he has the briefcase idea and that pays off. And I love that, that it's not just a an immediate thing i'll get the gadget that'll do it which i think would happen a bit more in later films again comes down to great patient filmmaking and uh and yeah robert shaw's performance is absolutely spot on and yeah in a shame it's a sense that he dies because he just wanted to go on forever but that is the beauty of their relationship and those scenes that they are captured and it's it's just wonderful and i think the film keeps up a great pace afterwards because they have saved the big spectacle of that helicopter chase with some terrific stunts how close that copter comes flying into to the, the stuntman playing um playing connery but they do that scene so well as chris says you get the gadget you get all those things you want to see so i don't think the film loses anything at all but i do think that is an, an absolute i think cubby brocky used to call them a bump in the film the, the bits that people wait for it's a big bump in the film it's terrific and of course, he's fairly, he's presented as almost like an archetypal henchman to start with. You don't hear much of him speak, do you, if anything? And then in the train, so much dialogue. He's not just a henchman, he's so witty. I think that's done for a reason. I think they wanted yeah. you to draw an assumption of what he was going to be like. And then they turn it on its head when you actually hear from him on the train, which is another, what a clever, clever idea. Brilliant. The dining scene, absolutely magnificent. People say the train sequence, oh, the fight. Yeah, of course, but before that. Oh, yeah. That yeah. It's sort of great detective work again from Bond. It's not the audience won't be able to keep, unless you're a proper connoisseur. They're mm. not keeping up with Bond. Bond's already figured it out. I have the grilled show. And for Madam. What about you, Nash? Yes, it sounds very nice. Make that three of those, will you? Oui, monsieur. I'll have a bottle of the Blanc de Blanc. Oui, monsieur. Make mine, Chianti. White Chianti, monsieur. Uh, no, the red kind. Well, enjoy your dinner, old man. I think I've got the answer to our problems. Very simple, really. Good. Bond is all, like you say, he's one step ahead, but we can, we've got the foresight to see from a different perspective, which also gives us the advantage as well. I enjoy that scene immensely from the second they board the train to when they depart. I love the entire sequence, not just the fight sequence. The th interesting thing is, I think when Grant eventually meets his demise, there's definitely a momentum shift in terms of plot pace and where the film heads in what direction but the the bit that really sort of changed direction for me is when actually bond goes in and he obviously finds Pirin that yeah. Bay has been murdered along with the other henchman and that for me is a big shift in momentum because let's be honest Kerim is one of his key allies throughout the entire film and i actually feel his loss more than the loss of red grant personally Mm. But um, but as regards to the fight scene itself, I mean, I think all the sentiments have been echoed perfectly here. What gets me with that scene, though, is just how gratuitously violent that film is in that scene, which was a brave thing for 1963. 
you know, we hadn't really seen violence on that scale before, maybe slightly with Hitchcock and other similar filmmakers. But, you know, he garrots him, he stabs him yeah. violently in the arm. And, and it's also great from Connery's perspective, from Bond's perspective, because we see a vulnerability of Bond that we hadn't yet seen up to that point. There's that scene when he's on his knees and he's trembling with fear almost. And that is actually wonderful to see and incredibly well acted by Connery. I mean, people don't give Connery his dues sometimes. They think he's very much a one-trick pony. You know, he just plays Connery in these different films. But there's a massive sense of vulnerability there, which makes for wonderful storytelling. And like Chris said, you know, when we eventually get to obviously the helicopter chase, that's for me the most iconic scene of that film. Uh, it's the scene I think that most people remember. S certainly at some point we'll have to make the pilgrimage up to Scotland to <laughs> yeah. in many ways, I'm sure. It does look like Scotland, doesn't it? That's the only thing. It, it doesn't really look like yeah. off the train of the Orient Express. But... It, it does, it does. And the thing that no one's mentioned yet is the uh, dispute over Ian Fleming. And is it Ian Fleming who's standing by the train? Because people oh, yeah. say, some people say no. I would <laughs> like to think it is, but it, it doesn't bear a striking resemblance, does he, to the uh, to the main man? This fight scene, I know we've, we've talked about it endlessly, but it's just... Uh, yeah. You sort of think it's the second film. Why have we not had anything as good as it since? You could say, couldn't you? We've had some great fights in the Bond series, some well, incredible fights, but nothing can live up to the originality. And just hearing Kieran, Steve, and 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 Chris as well talking about the train scene, and my legs are like my knee is shaking with excitement just thinking about how darned good it is. I mean, I knew it was good before this chat, and I've probably talked about. I've gone through this process probably before, but just talking about it is just so unbelievable. And I think what Steve said has made me maybe understand a little bit why even more, that idea that he he doesn't go straight to the gadget. And that might answer your question in terms of why they've not managed to reach this peak since. But I can't think of a sequence that builds as well as this and delivers as well as this. Like Chris said, as soon as they're on the train, or maybe it's Kieran, yeah, as soon as they're on the train, this is every scene, the the meals, the stuff in the cabin, meeting Grant, that idea of him talking and playing with your expectations of what he was going to be like. You learn so much about him you, just in that alone. But still, the more that you learn about him, you think, how is this going to end? This is too repellent forces coming together closer and closer and it's going to be explosive and you can just feel like the aggression the testosterone the sweat the one-upmanship the intelligence even you can feel you know two brains coming together red wine with fish well, that should have told me something you may know the right wines the other one on your knees how does it feel old man and it ends in the most unbelievably intense fight where they're both going at it and it's not quick none of it's quick from the moment they're face to face in the cabin you know at gunpoint lowering the guns trying to buy each other you know they are face to face they know that in that cabin they're gonna have to face off and like steve said bond tries one thing he tries the next how is and eventually it's just sheer physical brute force where they have to lunge at each other and and then the fact that the fight goes on for pretty long, it's not short-lived. You know, we've had other train fights, which are absolutely brilliant in the series. I think pretty, we can pretty much say every train fight in the series has been magnificent, actually. You know, Teehee, Jaws, the one Inspector. Um, I don't know if I'm missing another. 
Um, but they're all great and I enjoy all those. But this, it goes on. It's like it's so unbelievably intense between two really intense characters. And there's obviously no score. There's just the sound of every punch, every bit of furniture ripping. And I think Spectre tried to sort of do lots of nods and pay homage to it with their train fight scene. But what Spectre did was it it kind of did what a lot of action movies do now, where bodies seem to blast through whole pieces of furniture and break down a whole cupboard and go through walls and into the next room. A lot of action films now like to push each other through a wall and into the next room and then push through each other through another wall into the next room and it keeps going like that. But this, the fights smack off the furniture, but then they rebound and they clash and, and it's not tearing down the cabin. It's the cabins, you know, fighting back and there's, there's it's it's in, just incredible. And the way that it, it comes to an end as well and not forgetting the lighting as well, you know, because because the lights go out, you just left these flashing lights, it's blue, it's nighttime, it's so unbelievably well done. And I think, whereas the rest of the film is kind of sometimes, you know, it's like a, a gorgeous slow wearing a suit through, a, you know, Istanbul, you know, you've got Terence Young, John Barry, Sean Connery in their element. This is them coming together in their element in a different way, where there's just, it's... What a satisfying end to this, to these two meeting. It couldn't be better. Um, just remarkable. And just whilst we're on it, I, even though it's probably the peak of the film, I still feel perfectly fine with what comes after it because it has to. Because I, I, when I watch that, I know that's not the end of the film. I don't feel, ah, oh, mission complete because it's not. That's not mission complete, is it really? Um, so there's no sense of me thinking it should have ended there or that should have been transferred to the end it's i think it's exactly right and you know what a great way to tinker with the formula and things like that it's it's an incredible sequence on that train from everything from the lighting to the sound to the acting to the choreography to the effects it's an absolute masterclass of filmmaking tell me which lunatic asylum did they get you out of My orders are to kill you and deliver the lector. Oh, I do, it's my business. It'll be slow and painful. Because we had all the right surfaces, we had the right doors and the right, you know, they're banging this and banging that, aren't they? But I love that scene. And what was so nice for me was that there was no music. Mm. Oh, yes, much yeah, better definitely. without. And because yeah. the bullet went through the glass, I was able to have my whistle of the train and the. Yeah!
Yeah, it does work much better. I think fights, particularly yeah. unscored, you're really in. You feel the constraints of that small cabin, don't you, on the train? Yes. It just makes it so much more realistic. It I is think. a fantastic it scene, is. isn't it? Yeah. It's such yeah. a contrast to the Goldfinger one. Both equally brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But you, in from Russia with Love, you've got a very um, claustrophobic frenetic fight which is all sounds of that you know rushing winds and of the train and stuff and then you've got an odd job very slow tense fight yeah two completely contrasting styles oh, yeah. contrasting sounds but both have that incredible tension in them it's it's just brilliant. Oh. So yes. diverse. Yes, and, and you don't very often see two men in suits fighting no, each other. No, no. <laughs> not at all. It's quite a, quite a scene, that. Definitely quite a scene. You won't be needing this, old man. That's been Grant's method to kill people, and it's in such a brutal way, you know, fr from his kind of watch, and then the thin wire, it's, it's horrible. So then... But then the way that Bond gets the upper hand on him is just is uh, it's just so good. So for him to kill him that way is satisfying and a very clear ending to the um, to the confrontation. So yeah, yeah, don't worry, I'm I'm absolutely on board with this. And <laughs> um, well, something I was also going to mention about um, sort of this scene and 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 everything. We've got a long part of the film set on the train, whereas you know lots of Bond films, starting with Doctor No. He gets to the villain's lair and, you know, that's where it culminates and everything like that. And we, or it might be another location in the next one. We've got Fort Knox. This one isn't quite the same in that, in that regard. There isn't like a specific end place that, that, you know, it's all going to, I mean, that the train is the place where those two characters kind of, you know, face off, but that's not how this film works. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's really interesting and, you know, again, I wonder whether it would ever happen again in a in a in a Bond film that they wouldn't. You know, there is there is pressure from people like us saying, you know, oh, you've got to have a clear set piece at the end, which is in you know a specific location. And to be fair, they often do it. They they do it well, and they they try and stick to that. But that isn't here, um, and it's it's really interesting for that. Chris, your famous phrase, "Not an ounce of fat on it," and Terence Young. <laughs> Terence Young does deserve some credit. I mean, we can talk about a bit about him now if you want, because he's done four Bond films, and you know he he can stage a fight, he can stage mm -hmm. a grand scene, he can he can do the the talking scenes, he can you know he can do a Bond film basically. Yeah, no, I think I think that that yeah, like like Harry's saying is that it's almost like this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
you know apex of these filmmakers you know whether it's music whether it's production whether it's editing all all coming together but but being kind of like slave to the story you know they've not no one has like said well actually we'll just this set piece will just like keep everyone entertained no we've not forgotten about the plot here and like saying that, that once you get on the train, not only do we have the 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 the, the sort of coming the, the conflict, the resolution of the conflict, but it's done in very different ways. Like you say that, that we get this is the first time we actually get to really get to know Red Grant. We get to meet him, hear him actually speak, and you know, and 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 reveal himself as a character who is really interesting. You know, I think every time I watch it, I think he's what's such a fascinating character to, to the point where. The, the, you know, for him, he is the, there's there's a whole subtext. Well, maybe not not even subtext of 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 uh, of the class system about you know that Bond is the eaten and he is you know working class and that he is has a very different background to Bond about the fact that that Bond then tries to bribe him with you know the 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 the, the gold in the suitcase. There's the, there's this whole back and forth. The fact that obviously that Bond, you know, that, that Grant reveals himself as being, you know, maybe not maybe not uncouth, but you know, <laughs> choosing yeah, the us. right, the wrong wine with the meal, which is obviously very famous. All that sort of stuff. It is so it is so well written in terms of it's not it's not just like you were saying before in in some Bond films, it is just two characters coming together and and having a, basically having a fight. There's much more to it in this film. It is. It, it, there's there's the stuff about, like, say, stuff about class and about you know the fact he calls him old man all the time. The, 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 there's this aggressive, you know, the, the the tension between them is 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 palpable, and and, and I think that it is it, so fascinating to watch it. And also that, that the fact that you are on a train that is speeding in one direction, that you've got this tick, almost ticking clock of we've got to make to this place, we've got to do this. It is. Like I say, it is. I suppose, like I say, cliched. It's Hitchcockian in its design, but it's almost more than that. It's almost better than that because you've got these brilliant set pieces. You, you were holding together plot, character. I think I, honestly, I think I think what you know what Terence Young does with this film is it, it, it is a it is a you know to throw that word around <laughs> is a masterpiece because it is it is drawing together the talents of so many different people and not forgetting that at the end of the day this is about, about a really tight story and a, and a really tight plot and also that you get to, to set pieces which are just brilliantly constructed and that, what I said about the the, the fight that the, there's no fat on that that fight because there's there's nothing left to spur it is this is the scene we are going to perform it brilliantly and we're not going to let anything to, to it's just we execute it perfectly and there are certain even you know in later bond films there are obviously scenes and there's you know some bond films that do exactly that but it's so satisfying when like this is what we set out to achieve and we have absolutely nailed it and for this film that scene is just a stand out because it is like that fight is is brutal and there's there's so much more to it than just two blokes fighting in a room. There's 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 the discussions beforehand. There's the you know the the unspoken stuff. There's the stuff that like I say about class and 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 age and all that stuff. It's so rich, and that's what every time I come back to it, I think what a wonderfully rich film this is. You know, and using the you know the source material, but building on it and 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 making it a cinematic thing. And I think I, I like I say. 
this film is just uh, brilliant. Red Grant's been there literally in the shadows the whole time. Even I, I mean, I didn't pick up on all that as a kid. You know, that he was sort of protecting Bond at the gypsy camp and and then the fact that hang on, he's he's got an English accent. This is terrifying. This is really scary. Like he he could be he could be anyone. He could, he's like a defector as well. Really, 007? You want to know my thoughts on From Russia With Love on its anniversary? I'm Cam the Provocateur from the Spy Hearts podcast, and I'm very happy to express my adoration for 1963's From Russia With Love on its anniversary. What do I love about this movie? I think it's that when you look at the entirety of the Bond canon, this is the only one that really feels like a stripped-down spy thriller, like really kind of gets into the espionage of the story. Um, you can look at, say, like Casino Royale from 2006. There's kind of a romantic sweep to that one that just makes it feel a little bigger, a little more grand in scale. Uh, For Your Eyes Only has a little, you know, a few too many like Roger Moore kind of campy moments. You know, hockey player fights. Come on. That doesn't feel like down and dirty espionage. Whereas From Russia With Love, by sticking pretty true to the Ian Fleming text, just manages to feel so immersive. Like when Bond is hanging out with Karen Bay, just, you know, wandering around Istanbul, snooping. You're like kind of leaning in behind those two guys, kind of soaking up the world that they inhabit. Like it is kind of a guided tour of what a, you know, spy in a Cold War scenario in a fantastical situation might be like. Uh, it doesn't have that kind of like comic book feel that, say, Goldfinger Onwards has. And while I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Dr. No, that one has a little more of an adventure vibe, a little bit of almost like the spy-fi kind of stuff going on, whereas that is not present in From Russia With Love. This movie has Alfred Hitchcock stuff all over it, and Bond, you know, the series, typically likes to jump on trends. This is the very first one where you really feel that, because North by Northwest, 39 Steps, they feel like they are just all over the inspirations for this movie, and it just works so perfectly. You know, when you're watching Bond battle that helicopter at the end, that is North by Northwest in the Crop Duster. You can look at all the stuff on the Orient Express. That feels very North by Northwest. Stuff on the Scottish Highlands feels kind of 39 steps. And Rosa Klebb kind of feels like an evil Hitchcock mom, right? Uh, all that stuff, you know, it's baked into the novel. So it's not like they just invented it to, you know, pay homage to Hitchcock. It's just like the staging of it feels so Hitchcockian. And this movie, I think what really grabs me about it is that because it is a little more lower stakes, it's about, you know, getting this just this device, this MacGuffin. Um, it really is able to just kind of inhabit this spy world and give you, like, kind of grittier action. You know, you look at the big show-stopping fight, you know, in this movie. Like, the battle with Red Grant is considered one of the all-time great Bond action scenes. It's the best action scene in the entire movie. But it's just a fist fight. It's not Bond you know, taking down 50 guys with a machine gun in a hollowed out volcano lair. It is two guys. You understand the personal stakes of each person involved. And it's just a battle of the wills to the end. That's the sort of tension that this movie can really ratchet up when it wants to. And, you know, speaking of Red Grant, this movie is rife with great villains. Red Grant is kind of like the big primary physical adversary of the movie. But, you know, Rosa Klebb is a fantastic fantastic mastermind character 
and the scene she has with Tatiana where she's like manipulating her so creepy and effective um even like minor characters Kronstein that guy is iconic just look at him and the chess scene intro is fantastic and then also you know you've got some great Blofeld moments um just the entire kind of design of the you know Spectre world including Spectre Island which is maybe the silliest part of the movie but I love it nonetheless it all just kind of works the one thing I have an issue with with From Russia with Love is actually Tatiana I don't fault the actress because I think you know if you've read the story you know that that character pretty much transported over pretty much whole cloth from the book but when you're playing kind of that naive you're always kind of on the back foot whereas I look at you know Honey Rider who is drawn into Bond's world but feels like she can kind of hold her own at least physically when they're in a survival situation or you look at Pussy Galore in the next movie who's just like you know piss and vinegar and is someone who can um you know, really work into the action element very strong and feels like she's a real, like, mental equal with Bond. That's the sort of thing I like more, whereas Tatiana, she's very sweet and she is iconic. Like, when I think of the history of Bond girls, just, a, you know, the sight of Tatiana definitely sticks with you, but she just doesn't kind of have that interest level that I think some of the other ones do. But beyond that, like, she fits into the story well, and this movie just carries you along. It's as, like, consistent and propulsive as you know the orient express it just never stops barreling through it is under two hours and some of those bond movies will get bloated later on i'm talking about you thunderbolt as much as i love you um this one just feels like kind of the they haven't quite figured the franchise out they know they have a great thing the next movie is going to be the one that really solidifies the formula but here they're experimenting trying different things it just happens all of them kind of work but that wasn't where the franchise was going. So it's kind of like this almost Elseworlds. Like, what if we just had Bond movies that were like this from that point forward, where they were kind of these more stripped-down espionage stories? Could have been interesting, but I'm happy to have this one. So, you know, from Russia with love, you know, it's still getting love all these years, you know, since it's been released and will for many decades to come. Rosa Kleb, what an unbelievably fascinating character. You know, Grant's saying is the main focus of the film when you look back Cleb isn't it in actually she isn't in it as much as you think maybe she's obviously prominent at the beginning coaxing Tatiana into the seducing of Bond and running the operation and everything and that's a really interesting scene and then of course we don't see her an awful lot other than with Blofeld and then that famous end scene which is Hitchcockian in a different sense isn't it it's proper Psycho, basically, absolutely terrifying. She's unnervingly unscrupulous. That's how I will describe it. We often think of later Bond films, the villains in the newer films, Electric King, being yeah. massive twist. Whereas in this, you know, people forget, you know, the second ever Bond film, the lead villain in that film, because what we were saying earlier, I think Blofeld is the overriding story arced villain. But of that film, for me, it's Rosa Clare. And, you know, played by a woman. And forget that, you know, the Bond has been breaking stereotypes since its genesis. It's very clever, actually, because she's slimy. She's uh, she's a snake, basically. And I just think her her motives are actually rather fascinating. She she does come across, especially when it's almost like an interrogation. She's threatening. She she's she's completely unnerving. And if I was in, you know, Tatiana's shoes, I'd I'd be quaking in my boots. But um, 
but she's got that i think it's a fascinating motive that she has but then when they turn the tables and she's in blofeld's office she's then quaking in her boots because she thinks she's going to be bumped off um i think she's got a very interesting dynamic but i don't think it's actually explored as much as it could have been because you see her for parts and then she disappears and then before we know it she's got the confrontation with bond and the next minute then she's 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 off off the table anyway so it's an interesting character, but I think they could have done more with it. So I'll be interested to hear what the other guys think on that matter. A bit like Dario, but that, obviously that's done for a plot device that he's not in it so that he can't be discovered and sort of snitch on Bond to Sanchez. But you do, I, because we know the film so well, you, you, you're not thinking, hang on, what's happened to that that terrifying woman I saw earlier? And then, oh, heck, that ending. Well, in that respect, it's a little bit like Winston Kidd, isn't it? The ending, yes, in terms yeah. of some terrifying characters that you just well, slightly put to the back of your mind creep in again. It's like, oh no! Like, I, th- I find her genuinely terrifying. Funnily enough, I saw just you know on social media a, a lovely like um, behind the scenes photo of from Russia Love, and you see Lottie Lenny there with a lovely smile, looking really friendly. You know, yeah. But when when she is Cleb. She is absolutely terrifying. The glasses, her manner, and, you know, she intimidates everyone. Not just Bond, you've mentioned with Tatiana, but also even Grant, when she meets him. She, you know, she imposes herself on him um, in a very unpleasant way. Yeah, the this end fight is another good set piece in terms of, obviously, it's not a physical fight like Grant's, but this idea of a shoe that is another iconic thing that's gone down in history that everyone will remember. The style of the fight, I mean, part of me, I, it seems to come up in a lot of recordings how I muddle up all my childhood, but the decor of the set of the hotel room has those fairly unpleasant, scary vibes of sort of faulty towers with the old women and kind of just, you know, sort of thin walls and, the, and you know, murderer, wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all a little bit linked. Even don't look now, you know, just these, yeah. these ho- those hotels in that era do scare me just a little bit. Yeah. And then for Cleb to arrive and, you know, she does a decent job of causing problems for Bond and Tatiana. Even the way she goes down and manners, it's unpleasant. You know, the groans, the noises she makes, the hair out of place and yeah, a uh, 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 physical <laughs> uh, <laughs> her shoe as a weapon. Yeah, yeah. This is extremely memorable as well, and unique and original. It's another thing, and and like Kieran said, you know, a female villain. She gets the final say. She gets the final showdown. One of the co-writers was, of course, a woman, so, which is absolutely you know magnificent. With this second film, they've done some incredible things and achieved. Things that even now we're, we're trying to emulate, we're trying to go back and recreate. And there's just it's clearly something that worked so well when everyone came together on this project. Introducing, well, certainly a lesbian character mm-hmm. is quite a big thing, and she's so devoted to Spectre, isn't she? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's something that always makes a great barrier, I think. Her making Tatiana uncomfortable doesn't mean that she is, you know, is that she's, you know, a lesbian herself. 
it's it is sort of playing into that she is trying to you know have control over her and the, the fact that she puts a hand on her and says you know you're a pretty girl and or whatever the line is it is to make her feel uncomfortable and it's to hold power over in the same way and that's what makes it so progressive is that that would perhaps would have been you know written for a man that 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 actually the, the the stereotype is that it's the man that's all like oh you're a pretty girl and you know you do the right thing and i'll you know i'll look after you types kind of sort of approach take off your jacket turn around hmm. you're a fine looking girl but i think that that what makes her refreshing is that well, for, for for one, she isn't she isn't a zen she doesn't look like Zenya on a top. She isn't you know she does you know she is a middle aged woman you know she looks and that is in itself does play into you know the the the, the sort of stereotypes of you know the witch and scary older woman perfectly well. But I think there is there there is a slight knowingness about that, that that she was cast you know for the way that she was the way that she looked. But also the fact that she is this sort of, you know, like avenging character. Like, say, that the, the, her, her appearing at the end is almost like a horror trope. Yeah. She's there, you know, you, oh, the plot is ended, the film has ended, and suddenly, you know, the hand comes out of the ground, you know, and grabs yeah. you by the ankle or something. And that's what she is. She, she, we're, we're, on, we're on honeymoon now, and here she, she appears with her... You know, knife and a shoe, ready to attack you, and like you say that, that, and that's where you get that kind of like, tarot point about don't look now. I can, yeah. I can totally see those kind of connections of this woman suddenly, and again, dressing as something that she's not. It is really quite kind of creepy, but I think she, I think she's a brilliant villain and a brilliant character, and 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 also like you say, the fact that she is still, you know, the shoe, you know, it is so memorable. You know, the glasses. And again, the choice of glasses that someone sat, I bet Terence Young went through about a tray of glasses and said, no, <laughs> these are the ones that you need to wear because they are like, like the bottles of bottoms of Coke bottles, you know what I mean? Like they're like three inches thick and massive. And it's just, again, like weirding you out. And I think that that's, that's, that's how she serves her purpose. And also that I don't, I know it wasn't intentional, but when she's on the ship with you know Blofeld, the fact that that shot where it gets rewound, yeah. it did it in reverse it, again. It makes it's like the end of Carrie, which is the yeah. film in, and then then did it in reverse and then played it the other way around just to make it kind of odd. She is like a horror icon, I think. You know, like talk about you know. <laughs> You know, nightmares about these, you know, the, this the scary woman. She absolutely plays into that, and I think that that yeah, I, I, what a brilliant character, and and absolutely holds her own. You know, this, I, I don't feel like she's underwritten. I think that she's not in it because there's no place for her. You know, she serves her purpose for the plot in terms of you know setting things up. She absolutely is. You, you feel that absolutely con sort of convinces Tatiana to do this thing. And to be honest with you, if she told me to do something, I probably would do it. You know what I mean? She is quite threatening and overpowering. But yeah, I, yeah, the, the fact that she just reappears at the end, to me, isn't, it isn't an issue. It is the final scare. It's the, uh, let's say, the hand from the grave finale. It is linked with Don't the Now, Harry. I, I think, you know, the, the sort of like... <sighs> You know that those little women. And the, she told you. She told you, and that oh, it's absolutely awful. And the, the sort of way she's like, ah, ah, you know, yeah, <laughs> so, so iconic that shot, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It, and do you know what's interesting? You know, we've talked about how good Connery is. Isn't it interesting that you 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 can see and feel that he'll hold his own against Grant because he's strong and he's physical, but you can also see and feel that he can be under threat by Cleb, as in outsmart. You know, because I'm just thinking if you put Cleb against like Ethan Hunt, you know, in Mission Impossible, or against Daniel Craig as Bond now, you'd never quite. You'd always think, well, he could just batter her, kind of, you know, that, you know, just easily, easily. But with Connery, he, I don't know. There's just this dynamic where he can be threatened, he can be put under pressure, and in she's unexpected like, scenarios. Yeah, she's like the scorpion, isn't she? The fact that he has to get the chair to pin her against the wall because oh, she's yeah. like striking yeah. him all again yeah. and again. Like I say, it's, it's not the threat is is her her how like aggressive she is and how she's just like for the course she's going to kill him but also yeah. it's that, that 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 shoe kicking out is just <laughs> it, it, it's terrifying having to pin her against the wall it's yeah well it's, and it also gives tatiana something to do as well yeah yes yeah it's one of many bond films i think can't remember which one we discussed it in. it was probably in the thunderball review where bond actually doesn't kill the main villain you know it's the character is more important than oh we just want an end fight with Bond and whoever's the baddie. In this, it's it works really well dramatically that Tatiana kills Cleb. This is classified far above his level. I will say nothing to if anyone. If you do, you will be shot. Come, come, my dear. You are very fortunate to have been chosen for such a simple, delightful duty. A real. Labour of love. Hello, Really 007 podcast. This is Craig, proud contributor at Licensed Queer, sometime blogger at Alone in the Front Row. Thanks for this opportunity to wax lyrical about one of my favourite Bond films, From Russia With Love. So to put it bluntly, without From Russia With Love, I just don't think you get the rest of the series. I think it's absolutely pivotal, really, for setting the grammar of what we understand a James Bond film to be. I think what I like best about it is that it actually sort of doubles down on the weirdness, a very Fleming weirdness, I'd add, of, uh, of Dr. No. If you take Spectre, for example, and it's one of my favourite portrayals of the organisation here, not least because it actually looks like an organisation rather than just the extension of, of one madman. Spectre in this film is a fish-fighting cat lover, a chess genius. You've got Rosa Klebb, a sort of lesbian colonel in full dom mode. A leather-bound quartermaster and this psychopath, largely silent for much of the film, Adonis, fresh from prison. Which sounds like it should be the setup for a bad joke, but throughout the film it's played kind of straight enough that, that, that From Russia With Love is genuinely suspenseful all the way through. And in my opinion, it's, it's this weirdness that is actually in the DNA of Bond uh, right through the series. And I think it's what separates it from the Jason Bournes and the Mission Impossibles. And it's, it's why those series will will never never surpass what Bond is. Finally, I do want to give a shout out to to the performances of, of Robert Shaw um, and Daniela Bianchi. Robert Shaw, just the way he lurks through the film, really gets under my skin every single time. And as far as Daniela Bianchi is concerned, I think people forget that Tatiana is a woman on a mission in her own right, trying to lay a honey trap. But both characters really introduce character types that become crucial to what we know as the world of Bond. There you have it, 95% uh, sure that From Russia With Love was my first Bond film. Um, it's always in my top 
three or four. Uh, and if you haven't read the book, what are you doing? Seriously, it's one of the best. Thanks for the podcast. Uh, keep up the great work. We'll move on to Tatiana because for some reason she's never really in the conversation as oh one of the best the best Bond girls. Yet quite a big character in the film. She's more complex, I think, than people give her credit for because you don't know what's going on ahead when she's hired. You don't know what's going on in the head. Is she really in love with Bond? I, we don't. We never really find out. Tatiana's beautiful. I mean, yeah. Hilary Bianchi was just on top of a game in that film, you know. And it's interesting because all the future screen tests that, of course, have yeah. been conducted, they always go back to that scene. And I think that scene is largely in part of its success, not down, just down to Connery, but down to her as well, because you genuinely feel there's a connection, there's a magnetism between the two of them. And although it's a setup and he doesn't realise he's being filmed, you know, you can you can almost feel that sexual chemistry between the two of them. And that carries on throughout the film. Is she in love with him? Who knows, maybe potentially. I think she certainly starts to fall through him, as most Bond girls do as the film progresses. But um, as we know at the beginning, I think it's all part of that rouse to get Bond on the mission and out to where he needs to be. Um, what's interesting as well is going back to the end scene, obviously with the tussle, it's the first of two Connery appearances whereby the Bond girl actually kills the main villain. The next one is Thunderball. And uh, that certainly set the standard. But those two scenes are actually quite mirrored if you look at it and look at them side by side. Um, but the interesting thing about that scene is before she kills Cleb, she actually is tussling in her own mind who to kill. Yes, because yeah. Because the gun is going across. She doesn't genuinely know who to kill because she is committed to her cause, but she also, by this point, I feel at least, has a sense of affection for Bond, at the very least. And that, that is a very interesting dynamic, but she makes the right choice, ultimately. Um, can you imagine if she'd killed Bond instead of Cleb? Yeah. <laughs> Does she know then, ever that actually her boss isn't working for her country? Did, when does she find out that he's actually Spectre? Because that, if she knew it was Spectre, then of course, why would? I... Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, Bond, about that. No, I, know. I mean, Bond knows, but does she know? Is it entirely clear? Who knows? But I think she's a great Bond girl. I really do. I mean, of course, she she will never be as iconic as Ursula Andress. I mean, she she is the iconic and archetypal Bond girl. But um, I think she was the perfect follow-on from the likes of Ursula Andress. So I, I think she's great. I think she's absolutely stunning. And that scene in the hotel room is still one of the most iconic. Very sexual film, isn't it, in many ways? There's that thread running through it. And that one is, what an unusual scene. Very difficult to film, if you think about what's going on. Like They're basically performing, aren't they? It, it, both of them know that this isn't real, but they're quite happy to do it. They're talking quite... Dirty. I mean, you know, it's children watching this film, the innuendos. So you're Tatiana Romanova. My friends call me Tanya. Mine call me James Bond. Well, now that we've been properly introduced. Careful. Guns upset me. I'm sorry. I'm a bit uh, upset myself. You look just like you're... Your photograph. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. Thank you. But I think my mouth is too big. No, it's the right size. For me, that is. Then you get Cleb watching it behind the, the glass, having a cigarette, and it's 
to to children again i didn't really you don't really think much of it but thinking back it's very loaded sexual uh scene yeah it is it is and it's this unusual thing about this ploy that's been set up and bond and tatiana are both pawns in this in this game bond is more aware of his role in that but she's still aware that she is doing something but she doesn't actually know the genuine reasons for it it's quite strange the way that they you know they come together and then they're a sort of couple either ostensibly or or really throughout most of the film i think she's a really interesting character i think you know as kieran says succeeding ursula or andres and you know coming out of the water and all that and um, was very difficult but she the way they do that is by not sort of really competing with that she's completely different Tatiana's an absolute key player throughout this film. Daniela Bianchi has that air of sexuality, sensuality, um, but also a little bit of naivety and innocence, which is quite endearing. Yeah, I think she deserves to be given more acclaim, both in terms of as a, as a character and the performance. I know she's dubbed, but certainly the the acting and the, the playfulness, you know, like on the train, doing the moustache with the hair and these little character ticks and things that... She's so likable, I think. She's incredibly likable and also, you know, sympathetic that the fact that she has been manipulated by, you know, pretty much everyone, you know, Bond and Cleb and, and, and you know. The, but I think that there is, what I like about the film and her performances, there is a, there is an ambiguity in terms of how much, how much does she actually like Bond? How much does he fancy him? How much is she doing this because she's been told to or she sees this as a way, actually, if I just play along and, you know, say the right things, I'll be able to get out of this, I'll be able to complete the mission, I'll be able to, you know, maybe escape, you know. You know, him also, you know, like dangling the carrot of like, well, when you get back to England, we can do this and this, and it's her escape plan. This is this is what she that she wants and i think that that every again every time i watch it there is a slight you know i interpret it differently i think actually maybe she is a bit maybe she's in it is infatuated with him maybe she just fancies him maybe she actually is in love with him maybe she doesn't maybe she's just playing the game you know and I, I love that there is that, you know, could either or kind of approach to that kind of performance. But yeah, there's so many, she's incredibly likable, like the fact that she is playful, that she is, uh, and also like, inc you know, really vulnerable. She, she plays it so well. And, 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 and again, like, I don't think really she gets enough credit for it because she isn't the, the big kind of Bond girl kind of character. Like she doesn't have that scene of, you know, coming out of the, the, the sea or having a fight with Connery in the barn, you know, she doesn't have those moments. But what she does is have a really great character arc and she plays it brilliantly. And again, offers enough ambiguity for you to sort of potentially question her motives or, you know, whether, you know, she's she's doing something for a particular reason. Brilliant, brilliant performance, I think. It's quite a tricky one when you sort of talk about you know, is she one of the best Bond girls and she's not seen as one of the best? It's quite, because everyone, there's a, you know, in the conscience, there's a, well, how good are the Bond girls? And, oh, she's one of the Bond girls, they're one of the Bond girls. But generally speaking, the general public, if you were to say, who's your favourite Bond girl? They might, the general public, it's all fairly, un, like, I don't know how many Bond girls they can actually name in terms of Bond girls are there, the, the role they fulfill or the memorable moments they get are less than other characters in some ways and their name the names might be remembered but I think it's still a balance that they're trying to 
understand how to work a Bond girl into the plot and how integral they should be, how useful they should be and how empowered and all that. I, don't, I just don't think the general public mm. look back on Bond girls and know them from, you know, know them as well as other characters. They don't know them as much as henchmen. You know, compared to Ursula Andress, who people will remember, Tatiana's more like a clerical, you know, she's from an office, you know, she's... You know, she's dressed very conservatively and all that. She, she doesn't emerge from an ocean, you know, in a bikini. I think also audiences might get, because she is muddled all the way through, it's only at the very, very end do you finally settle on what you think she is and who you think she's there for. And that might make audiences harder, harder for audiences to fully back her or fully invest in her. Almost like um, Alison Dude, you know, in Last Crusade, you know, all the way through... Yeah. Elsa, you'd like, I like her, but I can't trust, you know, and yeah. I don't know quite what she wants until the very end, all right, and then she's gone. Yeah, I think she's brilliant, and even though she might not have the strength of being memorable, that's not necessarily the point. Her character is essential to the plot. It's not, they're not, I don't think they were gearing up, going out, you know, thinking, what can we do to make this one of the most memorable, significant uh, Bond girls that everyone remembers? Really, she's a crucial character she's a crucial character just like Karen Bay and all these others she's a crucial character but it's difficult to say you know how she ranks as a Bond girl because I don't I don't know how people remember Bond girls I don't I don't know if that makes any sense what I've said yeah in some ways even someone like Caroline Monroe might be more famous to people because of Mm. her image and everything yeah I, I wasn't saying that she was unmemorable it's more that She's never really mentioned in that top tier. Yeah, Where yeah. Even, you know, even Electric King amongst Bond fans will rightly be yeah. in the equation. Even Natalia will be. And but, it's whether you want the Bond girl to, you want them to fall in love. Is that what makes a good Bond girl? Yeah. Or is a good Bond girl one who, who puts pressure on Bond? And it's an interesting conversation to have. What makes a good Bond girl? What is it that people remember? Keep listening for part two of our From Russia With Love 60th anniversary celebration where we discuss The Allies, Sean Connery's performance, John Barry's amazing music, and our concluding thoughts on the film. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.